I think it was five years ago, Donna and I were preaching a conference in Atlanta where we met James and Debbie, and I really was immediately struck with how, um, how truthful and authentic he is actually. I like anybody my wife likes. And she was telling me how much she appreciated just how, you know, honest, straightforward, legit he really is. And um, so we've just developed relationship over the last probably five or six years maybe. And James pastors a church in New London, Connecticut, and he's just started another one in uh, West Haven near New Haven, Connecticut. And the building, the structure, the actual church structure he has in New London is 250 years old. It's one of the oldest church structures in the nation. And it was one of the major players in the first and second Great Awakening in our nation. And if you're a student of American spiritual history, or Christian history anyway, you would recognize the names Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, uh, David Brainerd, Gilbert Tennant. All of, all of those people in particular were very instrumental in the great awakenings that took place in the, was it 1800s, James, is that right? And um, a lot of people don't know enough about American history to realize that after the French Revolution, and when France was going the way of the guillotine, murdering thousands and thousands and thousands of people, the Great Awakening in America saved us from that, what they call the Age of Reason, which became very unreasonable, quite frankly. And it also saved us from alcoholism. America was on the verge of becoming an alcoholic nation uh, during um, that period of our, of our history. And it, you really need to know the history of our nation. When we talk about outpourings and awakenings and revivals, they have been culture-saving episodes and events. And the awakenings that took place that are represented by the facility that James has now lasted 50 years. The power and presence of God changed and transformed that region of the nation for over 50 straight years. And James has a real heart for um, like the three to four generations currently alive today, and there are different levels of generation, but particularly my age and everybody's age who's here. That was easy, right? And um, he has a heart, obviously, for seeing our nation changed by what God can do. I can remember the Jesus movement. Many of you weren't alive during the Jesus movement, but we have had incredible, historic, nation-shaping, spiritual Christian outpouring episodes, and we're due another one. We really are. When I look at the, you look at Hollywood, now that all this sexual depravity has come out of Hollywood, that's the tip of the iceberg. Once everybody starts getting told on, it doesn't stop. I mean, I think it's going to be frightening to see how terribly debauched Hollywood really has been from perhaps the top, the top down. Now, obviously, all those people aren't. But what I'm saying is we're beginning to see the underbelly of what's going on in our nation, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit who's uncovering, so he can't, not to condemn, but to cleanse and redeem and purify and help. 
And so let's do this. I love James Levesque. I love Debbie. I love their two children. Let's welcome him uh, this morning. This is my good friend James. Awesome. Come on. How's everybody doing? Can we give a hand to your awesome pastor? Love that dude so much. Look, I don't actually just say that. I don't feel that way about everywhere I go. So I actually really do love this dude. And uh, he's real. Not a week goes by I don't talk with him. I love them. He has such a father's heart and it's shown by the growth of this house, huh? I was here. I don't even remember how long ago, but man, it's just amazing to see the growth and what God is doing. Isn't it awesome? Well, I want to share for a few minutes uh, with you this morning. God's been doing so much. My wife and I are blessed here. She just came in. Can you stand up, lovey? Let everybody say hi. Look at that sexiest Canadian ever to live right there. And of course, my assistant and Chris, can you guys stand up? So cool to have my assistant with us and Chris, one of our head ushers. And so it's kind of wild, like who's manning all the churches back home, but who cares? I'm here now. Isn't that awesome? I want to share for a few minutes about trusting God. You know, I woke up recently and the Lord said to me that he wanted me to trust him. You know, the Bible says, uh, you know, trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. Right. Proverbs three. And so there's like, an, uh, you know, I guess an intellectual understanding of trusting God that I think we all should need. Right. Uh, uh, and it may not be a great level of faith, but. Then I think there's a greater level of trust, if ever needed, I think it's today. And when I said to God, sure, I trust you. I mean, clearly, I love you, dude. And he was just like, no, I want you to trust me beyond your level of understanding. And that was a difference. That was a moving target. Because when I think it comes to things like faith, you know, we really don't want to be, like, we always need to be in control of it, right? We always want to feel like we got a grip on it. It's one of those things that probably won't ever have a grip on. (laughs) You know, being, if if we're children, I tell people all the time, if you want to live a life of, and we see God do, I mean, please. We feed 100 homeless every morning. We just fed 200 yesterday. Once a month, we do a sit down. We win the lost every week, see miracles every week. My wife and I, my four-year-old, I think we've counted 30 nations he's been to in four years. So, you know, we've seen, and I'm in New England. So, I mean, dude, that's crazy. And so, but if there's anything I realize that if you're going to have great faith, you're going to live at any moment of your life with uncertainty. And if you want to know what's happening, you're in the wrong life because God hasn't organized this to where you're supposed to have all your understanding. That's what faith is, right? It's, It's something we can't see, but it's an inner strength that produces results. And if you and I are going to ever be in a position to where we will have what we would call great faith or to see great results in our life, then you're going to be vulnerable. And somehow, some way we are in a generation. Look, I'm mid 30. So come on. I'm like most of you guys. But we live in a generation where where if we're if it seems like we're too vulnerable, it's, it's like a bad thing, you know. That it's like, man, I just, I feel like I'm out of control or this is just too many questions. And a lot of times we don't realize that we're right where God wants us to. Recently, I had a, I had an experience with a, with an, a bird. Let me tell you something. I don't, I don't like animals. I didn't grow up around them. Y'all are mildly too happy for me. Can I just tell you that right now? Like you just, people are nice at star. I was at Starbucks the other day and my wife knows the menus the same. It never changes. 
But we get to the window and she just still wants to look at the menu and see what she's going to have. I'm like, we come every single day. You can't make up your mind. And we pull up to the window. Let me tell you something. You come to where I live and just try to take your time. You're going to get chewed out quick. Nobody got time to wait for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I came to the window here. I'm like, oh, man, here we go. Like, uh oh. So the guy's taking our order, and my wife still, still, and she knows if it's a car full of people, she's the last one to get her. She, we know, she never even considered first, because we know her order's never going to be ready. So we go through the whole car, including my son's chocolate milk, and every ice water available, and every question to stall I can ask, and she's still not ready. Well, I don't like that. So I'm at the window and I'm thinking, girl, they're about to chew us out again. Every, I get chewed out at Starbucks all the time. And all of a sudden this dude comes over the speaker and goes, oh, it's okay, guys. T- there's people behind me. Oh, it's okay, guys. Just go ahead and take your time. I thought, yep, I'm in Charlotte. There's no doubt about it. Yep, no doubt about it. I'm here. Every time I call Pastor Rob and I feel like he's sitting on the back porch somewhere fully relaxed. If you call me at any point of the day, I'm super wound up. I have no time to talk. I'm running crazy, so it's nice to be in the South for a minute. Sweet tea, and I'm not kidding, dude. I probably had the best fried chicken of my life. And I eat a lot of food, clearly. I, what is it? Price. Oh, my gosh. Dude, I'm going to get to heaven and be like, Jesus, seriously, bro? Like, you got this spread and you didn't bring prices up here, bro? There ain't chicken on this table that's going to touch what I had. All right. I was driving the other day. It was kind of wild. I was, uh, there was a couple that hadn't been in the church for a long time. They were kind of like spiritual parents to us, you know, and they kind of went away. A lot of things happened in their family and he unfortunately got hit with cancer. He, he just came out of his last treatment. Things are going well. We were believing for a miracle and in our crazy day where we're always living in and out of bags. Everything's wild for us. We're always on the move. Of course, we just planted a church race outside of Yale University. So we're flying all over the coastline of Connecticut and my wife wanted to make them a meal. Convenient. So we got the meal. I'm running it to their house. I'm talking to this couple or he was sleeping in bed tired and I'm talking to the lady just encouraging her, you know, ministering to her. And then, you know, we started talking about a couple because she was there for a while. A couple people that haven't been around a while and quite frankly, just made some horrible choices in really bad places of their life, you know, and one is really close to her. And I blessed her, prayed for her. everything was great. She lives on Eagle Ridge Road. I turned off the road, took a right. I'm driving. And no lie, dude, I see a bald eagle. Not in a vision. Like legit, the thing was like the size of my four-year-old. And I'm, I drive this Jeep Wrangler because I love Jeeps. And I stop the thing and I look at this eagle and it was like unreal. That First of all, it shouldn't even be in Connecticut. This is bizarre. It's sitting on the tree. And then I'm slowing my Jeep down. I'm on this like boondock windy road. And the thing jumps off of the branch onto a smaller branch. Now I fully stopped the Jeep and I'm like, this is ridiculous. And as I go to like grab my phone and cause just show somebody how cool this moment was. This is not a vision. The, the beast flew off the tree limb and started coming right at me on the Jeep. Now, as I turned off the road, the Lord said to me concerning those couples, I've not forgotten them. Don't write them off. And I was like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? He's telling me he's going to restore people's lives in the days ahead. So I'm thinking, you know, so this eagle, I'm not even kidding you, comes flying right at my Jeep. I'm like scared. 
don't know what's going to do to me. Do they eat people? I don't know what's going about to happen with this bird. This is like beyond bizarre. And then the thing starts like flapping down on my Jeep hood and takes its nasty old, somebody needs to give this thing a pedicure, takes its nasty old, and there's, a, there's like a, a handle on the hood of the Jeep because you can flip the window down. The thing literally, ah! He didn't scream, but I did. It clawed the hood of my Jeep, dude. I'm going to go ahead and wager a million. That ain't happened to any of you in this room ever in your lifetime. And some of you look pretty old up in here. The thing grabbed the hood of my Jeep, started flapping its wings, tucked its arms in, in this crazy little head's looking in my soul. I mean, I, honestly, I thought I was being judged. I was like, uh-oh, did I say something bad about that couple? What did I do wrong? Is God coming in the form of a bird to kill me? Like, I don't know what's about to happen. And the thing tucks its wings in, pops its little head in its little chest, puffs its chest out. I'm not even making this up. I'm like the non-hype, non-flake dude. I'm not buying it. The thing stares at me for two minutes. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, something's wrong. What's about to talk to me? What's about to happen? Somebody said, why didn't you get your phone? Because I was going to pee my pants. I felt like this was the judgment day. And the bird looks right at me, just piercing my soul. And the Lord says this to me as clear as day. This was like a month ago. He said, I'm moving this nation into a new season of prophetic destiny. And he said, volumes will be written about the fulfilled promises in the days ahead. And he said, there's people that have been burnt out. They've been removed, but they're coming back. And that that I've not written anybody off. And the purposes I've had in their lives are going to come forth. Well, that's pretty intense. And if that's true, which 100% I believe it is, then we better learn to trust God no matter what. And we better learn that, quite frankly, people will suck, but Jesus won't. And when I see people burnt out on, on things, you really don't want that offense to be built up on the Lord. See... It's not enough. I don't know if it was 10, 15 years ago. (laughs) Because people are used to being abused in churches. All these worship songs started coming out about God's goodness. Which I believe in, please, 150%. We sing them, I love it, it makes me feel great. But if it's only a conceptual understanding of his goodness, and it doesn't result in your life being changed, or you doing acts of goodness to see humanity shaken then our songs aren't making much sense to our lives. Because God does want you to feel good about his goodness. But it was geared to come to you, in you, and through you. So that goodness would translate into us feeding all the heroin addicts we do. Into me going to Yale University, believing God to change the greatest minds that are going to probably run our country one day. And God does those things despite... Who we are, right? Dude, I, look, I had a kid at 15 years old. I was on heroin at 14 and I dropped out of high school. None of you would have called me into the ministry. Thank God I didn't ask you. But the Bible says that he chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And so either we look at our lives and we're so all, where the enemy is so great on telling you, you don't have this. You're not good here. You, you, this is your weak spot. 
And if we constantly listen to those lies, then we ultimately will lose the ability to trust when it comes to our existence. Because your existence isn't your wonderful job. Life has got to mean so much more than just working. Right? Like, kill me now. Like, life has got to mean so much more than just going from one drama situation to the next. Waking up in the morning and checking our phones instead of, like, listening to Jesus. And it's like, wow, that makes sense to you. Look, I get to run out of here and never come back. So you just, you hear this Yankee for a minute and then I'm gone. But it's so important that we begin to trust him without our understanding. That we begin to believe without you know, putting him on trial or making him feel like he owes us something. Like he's that good. The cross was your deficit paid, right? Like he hated sin and he loved you and he couldn't love what he hated and blah, blah, blah. And he wanted to kill us, but he really loved you. And that's when Jesus came and praise God, we're going to heaven. But, but, but you have to understand that the reason he paid for this is that we would have life and life more abundant. Not that we would live in life, you know, letting our spiritual thermostats be determined by the world around us. Because if Jesus did that, he wouldn't have went to the cross. We live in a jacked up world. It takes zero spiritual eyes to see that. Right? Like somebody said to me, oh, what are these hurricanes? Man, I couldn't believe how, how, how crazy we get. Somebody said, oh, look at all the hurricanes on the earth. There must be the end times. If our understanding on the end times is based on calamities and destruction, you have zero spiritual eyes. It, it takes no insight to look at the world getting worse. If the church does nothing, the world will continue the way it's going. Right? So Christianity was never really meant to be a reaction to all the demonic things on the earth. If anything, as I see darkness arise on the earth, I'm reminded that our lights aren't probably shining the way they should. Because this earth is going to be changed by you and I, right? People that believe God at his word, believe him to change our families, our regions, and start with your backyard. That's the only thing that could change this world. And so when we sit in a situation where we're confused or we're, you know, demanding God to give us answers, that's not, we can't have faith that way. And I want to share a scripture with you the Lord gave me today. Number one, just based on that ego thing, side note, it's important that we hear from God. Right? God never designed you to hear through me only. That's ridiculous. Like he... It, it's been embedded in all of you to hear him. And that's all prophecy is, right? That's kind of, it's like this weird mystical word that really means nothing but hearing God. And if you hear God and tell others about it, in essence, that's prophecy. But we've made it this big kind of weird mystical thing and even allowed it to get weird and flaky. But at the core of it, he wants to speak to you. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's poured out. Peter stands up and he goes, they're like, well, what's really going on? And Peter Thank God, because up to that, he was kind of nuts. Peter gets a change of heart. Now he's like powerful. And he stands up and says, oh, this is what the book of Joel says. You know, he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. And but if you really listen to that, everything has to do with prophecy. 
God said that there'll come an hour that he's going to, his spirit will be released on this earth. But look, not, he's not looking for all the fleshy things we look for. He said, you want to see a sign of it? Your children are going to hear from God. And they're going to speak the things that God has told them. If there's ever a day where less, more people are confused is today. Everywhere I go, people are asking me, what is God saying? Well, you tell me what he's saying. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. There's a whole lot of flesh here today. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. And old people, please, I was just preaching a couple of nights ago to a bunch of old people. Old people, you're going to start dreaming dreams again. We have this old generation that is just like stuck. They've seen too much. They've bought the check on hopelessness. And all the dreams that flooded their hearts and all the things that were in their hearts for you, they just died. And, and the Bible says, as we hear from God and share it, that old men and women, people that are wiser than us, that have walked with the Lord, they're going to actually start dreaming like they're kids again. They're going to pick up the dreams that they had long ago. Don't worry, I'm about to rail on you young people too, so don't feel too excited. They're going to pick up the dreams that they, that they had long ago and they're going to start to buy into them again. And then the young people. And I'm talking about, look, I'm just cutting you over 50 and under 50. Because 40s are like lost. Like you're just, you don't even fit anywhere. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like if you're in your 40s, you just are in a midlife crisis. Because there's no age group wants you. So I'm just, go ahead and, I can say that because I'm not 40. Uh, so I'll just lump you up. But you're in the young ones on this. If there was ever a day that young, the Bible says young men and women will see visions. If I can tell you what young people need is to really encounter Jesus. Not on an intellectual level, not on a fleshy imagination only, nothing ever gets changed hype level, but legit one-on-one Jesus encounters your life and you don't tell everybody on Facebook. Yeah, find me that person. And then you'll see somebody that doesn't even fit. It is so ridiculous that thousands of years ago, somebody could prophesy this. And today, as I see young people around the world, this is like a gaping hole. They don't even have a clue what it is to see a vision of Jesus. They don't even know what it would look like. I mean, a real encounter. It's been so fabricated and so flesh filled and people just rather not. And Jesus is like, dude, I want to meet you face to face and not tell people on Instagram. And I wanted to shape your world. That's why I don't fit. I don't even fit young people because I've so met him. So then I'm stuck being an old soul and I got all the purposes. My friends said I'm fine with it. But I'm telling you, when you really meet him, you don't tell, you don't have to tell people about it. You don't have to build hype around it, but it changes you from the inside out. And you know that it's that power in your life that carries you through every season of your life. Through droughts and ebbs and f- I'm talking about the real power of the Holy Spirit ministering in your life. And my God, if there's ever a day we need Joel to, Joel's word to come to pass, I venture to say Peter wasn't quite right because we're about to see it. Hey, James. Whoa, that was scary. I felt like that was the Lord. <laughs> I thought I was about to have a vision. That sounded like God, didn't it? It did. Listen, 
Now, I know James just dissed Instagram a little bit, but let me tell you about my Instagram. <laughs> it's because I don't have enough followers. Let me tell you about my Instagram this morning. I, I take a picture. I, that. I take a picture of my Bible, and I call it my view from here, and then it's this is it. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Wow. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants, on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I wrote, sons and daughters prophesying is normal. What? The end of the age will be one of excessive outpourings of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And he and I never talked about this. So this is a legit word, ladies and gentlemen. You know what's funny? The post I saw you did was Isaiah 40. That was the day earlier. Oh, I didn't even see that. See, Instagram don't even give me the right info. Sorry, bro. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. I might not have preached it anymore. Wow, that's powerful. Turn with me to John 6. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to park. We're going to park here for the rest. But I want to share you really an encouragement and something to really think about when it comes to trusting beyond our level of understanding. And in this, and in this uh, scripture... Um, John 6, here's the scene. Jesus got done preaching, I mean, uh, ministering. Uh, there was a few accounts where it said he fed the 5,000 and, and of course every, most people think it's like more like 15,000 because of women and children, blah, blah, blah. But either way, he fed a whole bunch of people. And things were really at this moment an all-time high, right? I mean, you're talking about crowds and crowds of people now. The disciples, thousands are there, right? So if there ever was like a moment of like, can we celebrate? It'd be right now. And, and so, you know, and think about in this crowd of thousands and thousands, there's like the disciples. There's the people that just got fed, there's all the haters, right? The Jews are there, the scribes, all the other angry, cranky people. They're all there. Just, you know, Jesus does something and a whole bunch of people are happy and a whole bunch of people are like, you're horrible. You're not real. And Jesus just starts speaking to him. And, you know, he's explaining things to him. He's sharing with them. Uh, he's trying to say that God was sent, you know, sent him to this earth. And finally, in verse 34, we start a scary, scary dialogue. So imagine this. We're not, look, the table's been set. If you walked with Jesus, you were happy, right? The stock was on an all-time high. The dude just fed a whole bunch of people with a boy's lunch that wouldn't satisfy me for breakfast. Do you understand me? He fed all these people. Everybody's excited. You couldn't have been more happy with Jesus if you loved him. And you couldn't have been more angry with him if you hated him because now he's doing weird stuff. So now they're all kind of questions like the, the post-game interview. You know what I mean? They're kind of like, well, what's really going on? Who are you from? How did you do this? Who do you think you are? Tell me the secrets. Are you from God? Are you not? He's trying, he's trying to like, you know, it's like a press conference. He's trying his best. To, and, and the disciples are, how do they even know what's happening? They don't have the Bible. Do you understand me? They were the Bible written. So it's not like they're like, well, chapter six is coming. I'll just lay back. No, this was like everyday life being lived out from them. And Jesus is at the press conference and they're, you know, they're like, he gave bread for heaven to eat. And he's telling them da da da. And then on uh, verse 34, they said, well, Lord, give us bread always. 
And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me will never hunger. But he just fed, remember, he just fed all these people. Now he's talking about a different hunger. He that comes to me would never hunger, but he that believes in me will never thirst. Look, all of you here, even if you have a mild understanding of Jesus, you're okay with what he just said, right? No one here is really offended by that statement, right? I'm the bread of life that came from heaven. We're like, yeah, sure, of course you were. Yeah, that's an amazing statement. Well, not everybody in the crowd agreed with the answer, right? Come on. And he had a Cam Newton moment, somebody. Here we go. I had to. He said, I'm the bread of life. But I tell you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe all the father gives me. He's trying to explain himself. This is the will, verse 39, John 6, of the father that sent me. All he has given me. I'm not going to lose anything, but it'll be raised. And he's talking about his death and his resurrection. And he's trying to slowly explain to you that it's the plan of God. Beyond your, ve- beyond your veggie tale videos, hear me clearly. They were very sad to see him leave. Do you understand me? They walked with him for three and a half years. Everything was easier. He led them every step of the way. And then it was time to go. And they were like, oh, no. Like, this was not a happy. They're not high-fiving him. Hence, most of them, they all denied him at the cross. This was not going to be exciting. And he's slowly prepping them for what's to come. And we know that because we read the rest of the book. Okay? They didn't know the book. And he's explaining, and all of a sudden, here we go. The Jews started complaining about him. Verse 41. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life, what comes down from heaven. That's it. That was the straw right there, ladies and gentlemen. And they said to one another, is is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Look, the enemy is going to want to slowly always try to break you down to the lowest flesh denominator you are. Right? Mark 6 said they looked at Jesus. He was doing miracles. And they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's Joseph's son. That's, uh, but let me tell you, they were right. They just didn't see him for who he fully was. We have got to learn in a day when everybody has their own weird view of Jesus that we see him for who he really is. Don't Google Jesus because you're going to see the most janked up photos you've ever seen. If you try to Google Jesus Christ and hit images, I'd never serve a God that looks like this. This dude's walking around, looks like he's creepy with a lamb on his neck. I mean, who wants to give their life to this? It's so bizarre. Listen to me, because the Jesus you see is the one you receive. And if all we're doing is serving somebody else's version of Jesus, you're going to miss out on life. I can pull some of you. You smell like you've been in church since you were a kid. We're in the South. You're supposed to. But at what point when I say, why do you believe what you believe? Are you just telling me because someone told you that? Are you just buying into an image of Jesus that some Spanish saint put on a candle? (laughs) If it doesn't change you, it's not going to change others through you. And so I didn't have sweet tea. I saw a shirt. We got shirts in the back. I saw a shirt 
And it said, raised on sweet tea and Jesus. Friends, I didn't know what sweet tea was till about two minutes ago. I didn't have those luck. It wasn't like Jesus. Chris Tomlin wasn't playing in my Walmart. Do you understand me? That's bizarre. So Jesus is like, everyone knows him in Charlotte. If I stood, if I ran down the street and was like, Jesus, everyone would be like, yeah, yep, amen. If I did that in my city, I'd be shot by a crackhead. They don't know him. And sometimes when you're in this Christian-filled environment, you lose sight of who he really is. Because your Baptist church told you as a kid, or in the 90s you went to some weird church that just told you this is what he was, or somebody painted a picture of him in a meeting. At some point, you have got to meet him for yourself. And when I'm asking you, how do you know? It's because he's told you and he's revealed himself to you. So they're looking at Jesus and they're just seeing whoever he, they think he is. This can't be him. And now he has the audacity to say, I've come down from heaven. Jesus answered and said, don't murmur among yourselves. First of all, I wish I had that power. I'd be like, yep, the three in the back right now, shut up about what you're saying about me right now. The one back there, stop looking at my Facebook profile. I wish I had that kind of power. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, whew, I couldn't be trusted with that. So Jesus is like, don't murmur among yourselves. Nobody can come to me unless the father that sends me draws him and I'll raise him up on that day. And he's going through the prophecies. He's explaining to them. And then he says, Verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they're dead. But this is, he's talking a little third person. It's getting a little weird at this point with Jesus. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it. He's talking of himself. Third person here. He's trying to build an allegory to them that you're going to eat it and not die. I'm the living bread which comes down from heaven. Anyone that eats of this bread is going to live forever. And the bread I will give is my flesh, which I'm going to give for the life of the world. Now, time out. You all get it. Oh, he went to the cross. This is beautiful. There are people that don't even know what the plan is. So they're thinking, bro, you want me to eat your flesh? This is, I'm serious. That's what people are thinking. They're like, listen. I'm about to read you something that caused the greatest church split in all of eternity. And most of his disciples ran off now and never came back, this verse says. So you better listen. This was the largest confusion that ever hit the camp around Christ. So pay attention. They honestly are thinking, grab a fork and a knife and nom, nom, nom. All of you been in too many services. You're like, oh, yeah, he died on the cross. Oh, eat his flesh. Yum, yum, yum. No, dude. They're like, they're like, bro, you're crazy. Who talks like this? Eat my flesh and you'll never hunger and you won't die if you eat my flesh? Well, you think he pulled back. He didn't. The Jews started quarreling saying, how, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 53, Jesus says, he goes a little further now. If the offense meter wasn't already pinging and the confusion meter wasn't already at all time high, he Puts it in fifth gear. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I'm telling you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and you drink his blood. 
All righty, now we turn vampire mode. And you drink. He's talking third person still. And you drink his blood. They'll have no life in you. Keep in mind, they didn't understand what communion was. Do you understand me, church people? They weren't listening to him going, oh, that's communion. And we're going to do this as much as we can. Just remember it to me. And there's going to be a table in my mom's church that's going to say the words on it. And we're all going to pass around a thing and drink Kool-Aid. Listen, you guys have spent too many times in meetings. Honestly, think about the context of what I'm telling you. This was straight up nuts. It made zero sense to anybody there. Even the believers that he fasted and prayed for left him because talk like this. And he said, drink my blood or you'll have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. My flesh is food and my blood is drink. That is straight up bizarre. For my flesh is food, my blood is drink. He that eats my flesh, drink my blood, abides me and I in him. The living father sent me. This is the bread. Since we're on the subject, I'm going to reiterate it again. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not your fathers that ate the manna which are dead. He's saying it again. He that eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is kind of hard. Who can understand what he's saying? Jesus turned to them. And said, I'm so sorry, let me clarify, I'm I'm sorry you're offended. No. Jesus turned to them and said, I'll change my message just so you can understand. No. Jesus turned to them and said, I'm so sorry, I would never want you to feel uncomfortable when I talk. No. Jesus said, I'm sorry, can I give it to you in song form? No. He looks at them and he says, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the, it's the Spirit that gives life. He's not talking to the haters anymore. He's talking to you. He's talking to people that he fasted and prayed for that walked with him for three and a half miles plus around the earth. And he's looking at them going, are you really offended by this? Because it's the Spirit that gives life. In the flesh will profit nothing. The words I speak to you, they're spirit, guys, in their life. But there's still some of you that don't believe. Can you imagine walking with Jesus through all the great stuff and still looking at him and being like, I'm out, man. Jesus knew from the beginning that some didn't believe and that they would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come unless I've grinned. It was granted to him by my father. He's talking about his death. He's explaining salvation for the world. Things that are so easy for us to understand. And the people that were the closest to him were like, bro, I'm out. Hence the next verse. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. That is one of the saddest verses. There's like three that really hurt me. That one's sad. The one where Peter said, I'm going back fishing. That is like, that's like the ultimate chick flick, man. It causes my water gates to flow. And then the scripture in Jeremiah where God was like, it's been many days and you haven't talked to me. Those are like the three saddos. You know, those are like the three owies in the Bible. 
Because who wants people to betray him? They walked with him. Can you imagine? You're with Jesus. He's like, I'm the bread of life that came from heaven. I would have been like the hype man. I'd be like, yeah, you are. Tell him, bro. He'd be like, oh, I'm the, I come down. You can come to the Father but by me. You know, that's right. What he just said. Eat my flesh. Eat it. Drink my blood. Oh, my Lord, what's happening? Bro, I can't rock with that. I'm just not drinking that blood. The people that were with him when he talked like this, can you imagine the confusion, guys? Can you imagine the level of, man, is this guy even who he said he was? I know it's hard for you to get there because we live in this weird environment. This is serious business. They were so angry at him. They were so confused by that talk. And he says to them, did this offend you? Then many of them are leaving. Now, here's the picture. The crowds are gone. The Jews are gone. The haters are gone. Now the 72, and, the, and they're all gone. They left. Now there's a few handful of people with him. You don't think if all of you left and said, Robin's crazy, he's a false prophet, and us five are left? You wouldn't be human if you didn't go, did I make the wrong choice here? Why am I still with this guy? Like, why am I even here? Maybe, come on now. Maybe I made a mistake. And he looks at Peter. They all left. (laughs) He looks at Peter and says, please don't go. I'll like everything you say on Twitter from this point forward. Nope. He looks at Peter and he goes, do you want to go also? Bro, you just saw tens of thousands of people walk away from me because they said I was crazy. You don't actually understand what came out of my mouth. And I'm saying, do you want to go ahead too? We're talking about trusting beyond your level of understanding. And Peter looks at him and he goes, where am I going to go? <laughs> that's, that's a good safe answer there. Well, do you want to go? Well, you're thinking, well, yeah. Like you're thinking out your options. I would like to go, but I'm, I'm out of options here, buddy. It's me and you. Like I see that everybody's gone and I've considered it, but where they're going to where I was, I'm just not ready to make the jump. And Peter said, Lord, where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe and know that you're the Christ. See what's amazing? When you go through situations, you rely on where you've been. He's so confused at the moment. And he goes, let me wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know him. He touched me here. He did this in my house. He did this with my life. I know he's real. I don't quite get the climate I'm in right now, but I know he's real. And Peter said, look, you please, you can finish this message. Peter said, look, I'm confused, but all I know is I don't understand. But what I know is this, when you speak, I come alive inside. And we are living in the craziest spiritual climate we've ever known. Ever. The nation's gone nuts. Our government is just crazy. And all these Christians on the earth are so confused. And here's Jesus who's never changed. His message hasn't changed. What he stands for hasn't changed. And just because the people that represent him or the people that say they know him are off 
doesn't mean you run off in your beliefs and let go of what you know is true or change the message you know is real. Because God wants us to trust him beyond our level of understanding. And I know, I know that my message doesn't fit in. I know that if the Holy Spirit was a stock in America, it bottomed out. But I refuse to walk away from what I know is true. I refuse to form a Christianity that doesn't hurt me or I write off everybody that claims to know him and I build up walls of confusion and I'm constantly living in doubt and unbelief all because we don't quite get it. And it happened to them in the Bible. And I'm watching people walk away from what they know is true. I'm watching a generation by the millions turn away from what they know is real because they're offended at those that misrepresent Jesus. And they're angry at a concept of a church because it's very busted and messed up. Or they're hurt at leaders and people that have done, you're just one of them that's running off a cliff. And Peter wasn't sure. But he said, look, Number one, I have nowhere to go. But number two, three, and four, I know you. I don't get this at all, man. This makes me confused. I didn't think it would end like this. You told me all these great things were going to happen, and I'm watching everybody leave you. But I know who you really are. I'm confused at what's going on around you. I don't quite get this country and this government and this dead church world. And I don't quite get why people abuse the things that are so real and they manipulate them. I don't get that. But I know that I know that there's real in you. And that I know when I'm near you, I'm changed. I know that your presence is more than enough. Then I'm going to make a decision that I'm not going to let the confusion of everybody else this way what I know is real in you. And I don't know where I'm going next. And I'm, not, I'm completely confused on the era of Christianity today. But I'm not confused at you. And because of that, I'm going to believe. And because of that, I'm not going to allow the things I don't have answers for to dominate my relationship with you. And because of that, I'm not going to allow other people's bad perceptions of who you are and their abuse of who you've been to deter what I know is real about you. Because when you don't know what to do, don't walk away from what you know is true. When you're confused, don't move anywhere. Go back. Look, I'm out on most of this stuff, but guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna still be here because I know that I know that the only hope for this country is Jesus. There's no other hope. And I know that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna manipulate a version of Christianity that's gonna hurt me. I'm not gonna X out things that are so real because they're so misabused today. Because there's such a flaky version on the earth. When I got saved, I met God. I mean, clearly met God. I saw heaven. He showed me visions. I really met God. To the point I named my ministry Engaging Heaven. 
And then I saw this massive false thing arise on the earth. You know how many times I sat with my wife and said, I don't want to call this engaging heaven. I don't want anything to do with these wackos. I don't want anything to do with the abuse and the flesh I see rise on the earth. And so many times I call these fathers in my life and I'm like, I'm just going to change. I'm just going to let it go. And one day, this, this, uh, his name's Paul Keith Davis, such a, a father in my life. He said, don't give up the high ground. Right now, yeah, you don't get it because on this earth is some whacked out stuff. But you know that you know is true. And there'll be a day that the real will rise again on this earth. And there'll be a day from a pure place, people will begin to worship in spirit and in truth. And people will begin to cry out and there'll be way less politics and so much more love for God. Because that's the only thing that can work. Christianity was not meant to be this controlled religious garbage system it was it was created by men and women that loved jesus they loved him they just wanted his best in their life and then we're where we are today (laughs) and most people that are really like pure in their hearts and they love god they've allowed these questions even some valid things to cause them to ultimately walk away in the name of other people that have hurt them or in the name of, well, maybe you aren't who you said you were because of all this that you allowed to go on. And God wants us today to trust him beyond our level of understanding because Peter made the greatest choice of his life by saying, Jesus, I'm not leaving. And look, I'm not telling you you're leaving Jesus. What I'm saying is, Don't live on the questions that you don't have answers for. It's okay to have faith. It's okay to live with a realm of uncertainty because he is always certain. Right? Come on. His Holy Spirit is real. You're not going to convince me otherwise, man. I've seen, I've seen the dead raised, man. I've seen God do things not on an everyday basis. Of course not. But his power is real. There is a real place of God saying, look. I am who I'm everything I said I was. And I think we've got to come back to that. Not this dead structured thing that's choking the life out of people. No, I can't control what's going on in this country, but I sure can control who I'm standing next to. And I know that when Jesus is near me, everything's different. I want the peace that surpasses understanding. I choose to live a life that's not filled with anxiety and fear. I choose to live a life where, you know, you give your lives to a community of people that believe the same thing. And, you know, look, many ways I'm in New England and and there's not there ain't mass amount of believers that it's so the dichotomy is so intense. It's like you're in or you're just absolutely out. In some ways, the percentages of churches are like Pakistan, like on the same level in New England. But here it's a whole nother story. Because you can be in this area and have thousands upon thousands just walk away from what they know is true. And you be stuck wondering, maybe, I need, maybe they're right. Or somehow an experience with God was for a very small season of your life. And then it's like, well, now I'm moved on. Moved on to what? Right. All there is is knowing you. You know what I mean? All there is is knowing Jesus. And the beauty that comes from knowing him. 
And I, 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 you know, when I got delivered off the streets, I planted my first church at 18 with no permission. I brought a pork chop to a bum and started a church. But let me tell you something. There's no different than it was then. Like I didn't get into ministry for crowds of people in politics. Hence, I've given my life to New Haven and New London. Because I'm okay being exactly where God's calling me to be, living with a community of people that believe the same way I do. Giving my life to that. Instead of running with the crowds of people that would rather have a more happier message or a more watered down this, or let's kind of remove the Holy Spirit from everything we believe, or let's write off the power of God because there's so many so much misrepresentation on the earth. So I want to pray this morning for you, and I want to pray that God would begin to restore that trust. Can we do that? Let's stand. I want to declare over you. I know we have a picnic. I'm hungry too. I know you do barbecue with vinegar, and I feel really short now that all these tall people stood up. So I may come on the platform so I can tower over you and intimidate you. Man, I felt like I was... A little person. <laughs> now what? <laughs> can I stand on that or I'm going to break that too? No, that's good. I can stand on this? Yeah, oh yeah? Well, you done this before? Yeah, yeah we always stand on the speakers. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Were you blessed this morning? Yeah. Come on. I really believe the Lord gave you this word. Let's pray. Father... I thank you this morning for your presence and I thank you for trust. God, I ask that I would trust you in every area of my life and just remember who you were. And I pray for every person in this place, God, that we would look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. I thank you that you created us for purpose. You've created us to know you and for others to know who you are. And God, although we don't understand today... We lean on what we know is true, and that's you. Jesus, I pray today that you would encounter our hearts again. Fill us with the love we had at first. Fill us with the the passion for you. And God, I ask that the kingdom of God would be increasing in our vision, and the crap of the world would grow dim, so we can see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, man. Thank you, Uh, Love you, bro. That was powerful. Why don't you grab a seat just for one more minute? And um, I've been saved about, I think, 40, 48 years. And my wife and I are charter members of the Through Many Dangerous Snoils, Toils and Snares Club. I have already come. Um, My father dropped dead. I'm older than my dad right now. When Christopher was just a couple months old, my father died suddenly. The ministry I was a part of failed. The vision I had for my life blew away. I was having a walking nervous breakdown. But one thing never never changed and that was the Jesus that I met and so when James is saying these things he's talking about the legitimate person of Jesus 
who will carry you and keep you and take you through and help you through whatever you let him. Let me, let me say this. If you know Christians that have known Jesus for 40, 50 years and they still love him, you need to go get to know those people. So many have, have been caught up in something less than him. And it tells. It tells. So, James, that was a great word. Thank you. Thank you so much. Here's what we want to do. We're going to receive an offering for James and his ministry. And I don't care if somebody gives 10000 bucks. Whatever comes in, we, we give to James. And um, if you want an envelope, if you'll raise your hand, we'll be glad to give you one. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give to James's ministry. And um, how many people are you guys feeding every week up there, James? I mean, 100 a day, Monday through Friday, and about 300 once a month. So they feed 100 people, most of them street people, people that can't afford, don't have food. They've got a feeding center up there in uh, New, uh, New London. And um, this is, look at him, that's the real thing right there. That right there is a real thing. I'm serious, that right there is a real thing, warts and all. And I love James. If you guys don't give a bunch of money, we're going to go kick some more in because we love him, love his family. But you guys are so generous. My goodness, $5,000 to Puerto Rico. Awesome. Let's give it up and let's clap. And come on. You guys are amazing. Now, we are going to pass these buckets around. And, um, but my wife wanted me to do this. First of all, we're going to bless the food. Because we're getting ready to eat. Please, if you did not know we're having a barbecue, please stay. We'd love for you to eat with us and join with us. So I'm going to bless the food. That's point number one. My wife gave me this. So if this doesn't come out right, Donna messed it up. <laughs> Father, we ask that you would bless our food today. Lord, you've been so good. The worship time, we just experienced your presence. That was awesome. James challenged the socks off of us, Lord. That was amazing. There are people here we get to meet, we get to know because of how good you are, that you bring us into a place where you can help forge dynamic relationships. Thank you for that. And, Father, for the food, I ask that you would bless the food today. Let people really enjoy you, the food, and other people. In Jesus' name.